From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not that one, no. But he is coming after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one 
whom God raised from the dead, did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. <laughs> Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. <sighs> Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers wonder and perish. I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Welcome to Acts Christ's ministry continues our verse-by-verse -verse journey through this book written by a physician named Luke who had also written one of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. It's the story of the early church. It does not have a conclusion. We are the conclusion. It's a story of how we begin. And I don't know about you, but I believe that Christ started the church the way he wanted it. And I believe he also wants it the way he started it propelling forward with the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, the message that never changes. The methods have changed over the years. They didn't have projectors and PA systems and soft chairs back then, but the message is still the same. They didn't have air conditioning and bug killer either. So we're really blessed to live right now, amen. What we have witnessed today was a dramatization of Paul's first recorded sermon in the Bible He'd been preaching for years, but this is the first one that actually got written down and included in the scriptures. It's a story of a missionary team that were sent out by a church in Antioch, led by Paul and Barnabas, who he had already had experience in traveling together. Uh, Paul was, for his own safety, uh, in South Turkey in a place called Tarsus, and Barnabas went and got him and brought him to Antioch in an area of the world now known as Syria. And there he was part of the community of believers there. And together they did a 400-mile trek, 800 miles round trip, a relief effort to help Israel in advance of problems for the believers there that their needs might be met. So having experience traveling together through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we covered this in the last sermon. These are always available at generationschurch.org. And uh, so you can check that out to catch up with us. So here... The Holy Spirit sends them out on their first journey, and last week we heard about how they went to Cyprus by ship, and then they trekked across that island, which is about the size of Arkansas. It's got a lot of mountains there, so these guys were not wimps. They were tough guys from one end of the island to the other, and then they sailed by ship to the southern coast of what is now known as Turkey, or as the Turks say, Turkia, to Perga, and then from there they went to Pisidian Antioch, another Antioch there, and there... They go to the synagogue, and after the traditional reading of the Torah and the prophets, they turn to these men of God and say, you guys have anything to say? And Paul stands up and begins to preach, and he addresses the Jews in the crowd as well as the Gentiles in the crowd. 
and he takes them on a quick trip, several verses through their history as a nation, uh, all the way up to King David, and then from David, he jumps to Jesus. Verse 22, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now, as Jews, they were already familiar with their history, but did they know about Jesus? Well, this was some 20 years after the resurrection, and the gospel has made it to their populace. And being of Jewish culture and part of the Roman Empire on on a Roman military road, in fact, the news had gotten there by then, so Paul didn't have to start with the very basics. You know, many years ago in Bethlehem, there was a baby born. No, he just begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, springing from their history to the story of David, to the story of Jesus, beginning with John the Baptist, who was preaching repentance. And And then verse 26, he says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, that's the Gentiles in the midst, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. You know, it's important that when we hear the scriptures, it becomes more than a ritual, but it becomes something we understand. It's my desire that every member of generations has a grasp of the word so that they hear something quoted out of context and interpret it incorrectly, that you'll spot it and you won't be misled. And so here, having heard the prophets every Sabbath day, the guys missed out on the coming of the Messiah. Of course, they fulfilled the prophecies by condemning him. Verse 28, And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So they killed him and buried him. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, good news, the gospel. That promise which was made to the fathers. So he relates this sermon right back to where he began, their history. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm, quote, you are my son, today I have begotten you, unquote. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. And then he makes another quote. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Who is the sure mercies of David? It's Jesus. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. His body decayed. So these words of David weren't about David. They were about the Messiah. Verse 37, But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. His body did not decay. He resurrected. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. 
Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. In other words, prophetically, God was saying, I'm going to do an amazing thing, but you guys be careful that you don't miss it and get locked up in unbelief. And it says, verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would have an impact upon what we believe. And as a result our believing would impact our behaving, that our life would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to zero in on two scriptures. Verse 38, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. As our sacrifice, he was offered up that our sins could be paid for. And as our high priest, he arose from the dead to administer the results of his sacrifice. And by him, everyone, let's say all, who believes, let's say faith, is justified. Can we say justified? From all things, let's say everything. Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, I always knew that the law of Moses was in place as a sacrificial system in which man's sins were identified and then a means by which they could be covered, forgiven, atoned for by means of a sacrifice. So you repent of your sin, you bring your sacrifice to the priest, He offers it up for your sins, and your sins are atoned for, or they're covered by the blood of the innocent animal that was offered in your place. And then I also know that Jesus came as the spotless lamb and died for the sins of the world. Ironically, at the hands of the priest, indirectly, who thought they were were removing an obstruction. Meanwhile, they were fulfilling the plan of God. Who knows you can't be God, even his enemies are working for him. There's a proverb that says, God made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom. God is awesome, amen? And so I understood that, but in digging into this passage, I picked up the trusty Jewish New Testament commentary written by Messianic leader David H. Stern, and this is what he had to say about this verse, because Paul here declares everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Did you know there was some things the sacrificial system would not atone for? Listen to this. According to the Mishnah, now the Mishnah is the written form of the oral law, the tradition of the elders. According to the Mishnah, there are 36 transgressions for which the Torah specifies the punishment of being cut off from Israel. For these, the Torah or the law of Moses provides no clearing, no atoning, no redeeming. No sacrifice or punishment named in the Torah provides atonement or restores fellowship 
for these 36 transgressions. Now, the loopholes, if you did them accidentally, then there's a sin offering for that. But if you intentionally committed one of these 36 transgressions, you are toast. And these transgressions include, here's just some of them, the prohibited sexual unions of Leviticus 18, blasphemy according to Numbers 15.30, idolatry and necromancy according to Leviticus 20, verse 6, profaning the Sabbath according to Exodus 31.14, certain violations of ritual purity laws like eating chabats during Pesach, the Passover, or eating and working or working on Yom Kippur. You do that, it's unforgivable if it was committed intentionally. According to the plain sense of Numbers 15.30, the key element in any unpardonable sin is acting with a high hand. So pride is often involved in rebellion. Karet is what it's called. It means excision or excision or excommunication from the Jewish people. And explains that this punishment could, could include a premature death, which would be at the hands of God. Now, in the second century, a rabbi, he speculates, under pressure from the gospel, adds these words to the Talmud. Rabbi Akiva says, If those subject to the punishment of being cut off repent, the heavenly court grants them remission. But that was centuries later, and it was not during the time of Paul. Now, when Jesus was asked, is there anything unforgivable? He said only one thing, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? I don't know, and I'm not going to try to find out. You just don't want to do it. Speaking to you today on the good news of justification. We say that together. We have been justified. The good news of justification. Justified from things the law could never do. The New Testament doesn't justify sin. He justifies sinners. Right? The law could never justify sinners. Only Jesus justifies sinners. The law can only condemn sinners. Back to our subject. Our justification is a completed action in past time. It's already done. Can we say finished? The best definition I have of it is our justification is the plan provision of God. He intentionally did this from before the foundation of the world. Jesus was a lamb slain. The plan provision of God through which we have been justified in his sight, thus freeing us from our guilt and his penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. The wages have been paid. The way has been made for you and I to be free. The law can only throw you in jail or kill you, but it cannot give you life. Christ came, I am come, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Our justification is, and we're going to be just declaring 10 things that it is. If you want more than this, I've got sheets of paper out there on the round table. I think there's 16 things that it is. Our justification is fulfilled prophecy. 
Isaiah prophesied, chapter 45, verse 25, in the Lord. Can we say in the Lord? Lord. It's capital letters, so that's in Yahweh or Jehovah. All the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Not in the law, but in God himself. There was this promise that justification would come. Shall be. That's not completed action in past time. That's future promise, right? Now, we have been justified. You see that? They shall be justified. We have been justified. And then, of course, the famous passage of the crucifixion, Isaiah 53, says that by his knowledge, this is Jesus on the cross, by his knowledge, the things he's learning by experience on the cross, his experience, my righteous servant, that's Jesus, shall justify many. Can we say many? For he shall bear their iniquities. As the perfect lamb, he has taken our guilt upon himself so that we, in turn, could be made righteous, so that we could be justified. Somebody said, just as if I never sinned. That's good for the sake of memory, but actually I did sin. He's the one that never sinned. And so he gave me his place, and he took my place. He came down so that we could go up. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He became poor so that we might be made rich. He died so that we could live. And he arose from the dead to make sure his promises are fulfilled. Our justification is granted freely. Say, no charge. All the charges were laid upon him. Romans 3, we're going to read several verses from this chapter. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, talking about the Mosaic law, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. If the law does its work, it draws a line and shows you where you mess up. How do we know we're speeding? When the law says you're speeding, right? If we're not any laws, we wouldn't know, right? Until we hit a tree, I guess. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, we say nobody, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, not of righteousness, of sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, we say separate, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament as a whole testifies to this coming justification that is ours to walk in. Theirs it was predicted, ours it was fulfilled and received. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It's to you and it's on you if you believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Why has he done this for us? He's a gracious God. He has a love for us that we are not worthy of, that he bestows upon us by giving us justification, giving us his righteousness. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where is boasting then? What can we brag about? We don't have anything to brag about our behavior. Well, I kept the Sabbath perfectly last week. Well, whoop-de-doo for you. Jesus is the only one that can save you. Amen? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Obeying the law is good. I mean, healthy not to eat pork. But it's not going to change your position in the eyes of God. The work of Christ does. Amen? Apart from the deeds of the law, we are justified through, and we receive it through faith. Our justification is imputed. That is, it is credited to our account righteously. It shall be, our righteousness shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, hung up on the cross, hung up for our hang-ups, and was raised because of our justification. So he died for our sins. He lives for our justification. He's not on the cross anymore. The religion that keeps Jesus on the cross is one that hasn't, hasn't awakened to the fact our sins are gone. He was punished for them. There is no penance you can do to earn your forgiveness other than coming just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That is grace. This is amazing grace. This is what we sing about. This is why we worship. This is why we praise. Because we are unworthy. Here's the danger of giving people penance for their sins is they think they paid for them. The responsibility is all on my shoulders to pay for my sins. I paid for them. Now go commit some more because I can pay for those too. That's what it leads to. It does not lead to good behavior. It does not lead to righteousness. Ultimately, every person must come to the understanding, Jesus died for me and I am totally, absolutely unworthy of that. And in light of that truth that he's made us righteous, I live with a sense of appreciation and inspiration instead of condemnation and desperation. This is what's called the gospel. Get glad tidings, he said, Good news. Our justification is secured solidly. You're in the hand of God like this, not like this. Revelation 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, completed action in past time, now that it's already happened, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only am I justified, but because I am justified, I now can walk boldly into the throne of God by faith and present my needs. Heavenly Father, I am not worthy to be here, but thank you, you have made me just in your sight. I ask for help. I need strength. 
you don't realize this, it'll kill your prayer life. You'll be in the mully grubs, and, and God doesn't relate to you down there in the mully grubs. He relates to you up here in the frequency of the justified, the frequency of the righteous. I sound like I'm angry. No, I'm passionate. This is the gospel. Our justification is demonstrated lovingly, a completed action in past time. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9 says, but God demonstrates. Can we say illustrates? God, he makes a picture of it. He makes it public. He, He shows it. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. While I was still unworthy, he came. Not that I'll ever be worthy of that, but he died for us when we were in our lowest estate. Since we have now been justified, completed action in past time, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Having been justified, you can be assured that on judgment day, which is coming, if you don't think the world's worthy of it, just read the newspapers, you can face it fearlessly because you've been justified. Now, having said the law had 36 transgressions you could commit, if you did it on purpose, there was no atonement for you. There's something... There's no remission for, no redemption for in the New Testament, blaspheme the Holy Ghost, but also to live in sin. If you are a liar, you are not going to heaven, according to Paul's writings in the New Testament. If you are a fornicator, you are not going to heaven. If you were one, you can be. (laughs) But if you continue to live in sin... You're not going to heaven. Why? Because if you do, heaven becomes earth too. Heaven is a place for the justified, people that live in light of the mercy of God. And when they, if you mess up, you, you, you receive your forgiveness for him and get up and don't do it again. Ask him for strength by the Holy Spirit. Our justification is a result of something Jesus did for us. It's derived from his life. It's life that we live that is resulted from his life. Romans 5.18, talking about Adam, as through one man's offense, that first sin Adam committed, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. One guy messed up, everybody got messed up. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's the way life works. If you quit your job, your family is going to go hungry. Right? Your kid suffers, our children suffer as a result of our actions. So the children of Adam suffered. We, we were sold into sin by our forefather, not that we wouldn't have done the same thing. So one guy messed us up. But if that principle is true, then one guy can fix us up. But he has to live a sinless life and have a means by which we can be born into his family. Does that sound familiar? Even so, through one man's righteous act, what was that act? Jesus on the cross, through one man, he's called the last Adam in the Bible, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. 
Through Adam we were condemned. Through the law, that condemnation was revealed. And through Christ, we've been redeemed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn. The law came to condemn. Jesus came to save from the condemnation of the law. So why was the law sent? The law was sent to reveal to us we need a Savior because we were condemned. We just didn't know it until the law came and revealed it to us. We're a bunch of rebellious people in need of a Savior. The law revealed that to us. It pointed the way. Savior this way, you guys are jacked up. Here's 613 reasons why. Our justification is predestined divinely. God's purposes lined us up to be justified. Romans 8.30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. So through God's decision to pursue you, he called you, you answer that call, you've been justified. Verse, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So some people may try to blackmail you by reminding you of your, of your past. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, those people had better be careful. Because he protects his own and he chastens his own when they get, when they get like that. And if you're doing that, holding people's past against them, you had best be careful. Judge not lest you be judged. What would the judgment be? The grace of God lift off you and you find yourself in the same hog pen that they're holding against you for being in. I see it again and again and again and again. Our justification is cleansing provided, provided cleansing. Such were some of you. Comes on the tail of a list of of sinful lifestyles that if people don't repent of them, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Includes liars and thieves and extortioners, gangsters, fornicators, all that stuff. That's not our subject today. But the good news is such were some of you. Hallelujah, there's hope for us. But you're not that way anymore. Why? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me illustrate it for you. Let's say you have children at home, still at home, and you get them cleaned up for church, and you get ready for church. And somehow they go out in the yard and they get dirty. So you bring them in the house and you clean them up again, and then you have them stay in the house until it's time to leave. So you have cleansed them, and you have sanctified them. You've set them apart so that they can stay cleansed. And then you don't bring that up again to them because you've forgiven them. They're justified as though they never did it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they're cleansed, they're set apart, and they're justified. You give them the position of being fine. You go on to church, have a great day with them, and you don't tomorrow morning you don't say, I can't believe you got your clothes dirty yesterday. You don't do that because... It's cleansing, sanctification, it's being set apart and being justified in the name of Jesus. 
His name, not our name, His name, His power, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk in His will. Now, the law turns us inwardly at my works. I've got to be clean. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got I to do this. got to get all the leaven out. got to do all this stuff. Whereas grace justifies us, now we can look out at the world that needs our help. You know, the, Israel was called to be a light to the nations and they never could do it because they were so busy keeping all those laws. Of course, they added to the law with fence laws to make sure they didn't violate those 36 laws. You imagine what it was like to live during that time? I wonder how many people committed one of those 36 transgressions and nobody knew about it but them. The kind of guilt they lived with, hoping they would never be discovered. Seems like they'd be right for the gospel. Wouldn't it you? Our justification is given. It's gifted totally. It's a total gift. It's not, here's a gift, but you got to show some, you got to give me some sugar. You got to this, you got to that. <laughs> no, it's totally given to undeserving people. Galatians is a masterful book to some churches in the region of the world where Paul is is ministering, actually. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So it's a total gift. If I behave, it's not in order to be justified. It's because I am justified. I live from love. And faith works by love. And final point, our justification is promised to us covenantally. This is more than just a promise. This is a covenant. It's an unbreakable promise that God made with himself through Christ on the cross. In explaining this, Paul goes on in Galatians 3, verse 8. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, here's the gospel in the Old Testament, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Another place, he said, in your seed, singular, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What is that blessing? Being made right with God. Being justified. By the work of Jesus. He did it. It's already been done. We enter into it by believing it, receiving it by faith. Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. just shall live by faith. Here's a danger of thinking you're going to obey the law and become justified by it, is you're going to wind up picking and choosing. It's, it, you know, there's winds of doctrine that blow through the land every, every few years. Oh, I'm going to keep all 613 laws, and then you start bringing them up. Well, that one not for us, this one not. 
And suddenly they're picking and choosing. The law was not a cafeteria. James 2.10 says that if a man wants to live by the whole law and he breaks one of them, he's guilty of all of them. You want to be condemned? Try to earn your own righteousness by keeping the law of Moses. We endeavor to keep the commands of Christ by his Spirit's power. Lord, help me to love my enemies. Lord, help me to not lust. Lord, help me to rest in you. Lord, (laughs) help me to treat people the way I want to be treated. These are things Jesus commanded. And he told his disciples, go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything I commanded. He did not say everything Moses commanded. Everything I commanded. If you read the Gospels, there's about 70 of them there. Well, why aren't they numbered out? Because it's not like that. It's a relationship with a ruler in our lives rather than rules on the wall. Verse 23 of Galatians 3 says, We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law gathered us up. Here, come all you condemned people. Let me show you just how wicked you are so that when a Savior comes, here you are. Jesus opened the prison door so we could be free. Look at the cover of your bulletin. That is the gospel. That's the bottom line. Oh, but people won't behave, Pastor, if you tell them this gospel. Oh, really? The grace of God is what saves us, and the grace of God is what keeps us saved. By appreciation and love will generate more good behavior than anybody's laws. Wherefore, verse 24 of that same chapter, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Wow. Good news. So here's the law. The schoolmaster. Let me ask you what's better. This or this? Moses or Jesus. The Torah or God's Word made flesh. The love of God. Our rock, our foundation, the source of our faith, our mediator, our Messiah, our sacrifice, the risen one, our friend who's closer than a brother, the living God. If you're living under the schoolmaster, may you be pointed to Jesus today. Sin is not a good thing. It will hurt you. It will, it will destroy your life, destroy your relationships, put you in jail. But Jesus sets you free in such a way that you care about other people and not 
us for and no more. That we care about others. Having been justified, we now bless. We now give because we have been given to. God's grace is to us and on us and through us to others. Continuing the ministry of Jesus. Preaching the good news of justification. You know, I know people are really ticked off about them taking the Ten Commandments off of public squares and all that stuff. And I know those are our nation's roots, but I'm telling you right now, the Ten Commandments points us to the need for a Savior. And their principles still stand whether you see them in the park anymore or not. The principle is man is a sinner in need of a Savior. And laws that are in public views or not, the point is, when we do not live in light of the gospel, we are a messed up people. Just watch the news. You never see such strife and problems in the world amongst humanity, not just natural disasters, but man himself is a disaster without Jesus. The law just exposes that. Oh, that's what's wrong. We, we are rebellious. We need a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would stand in the liberty by which you've made us free, that we not come into bondage to some list that someone has put upon us, but that we seek to follow you and fulfill your will and preach the good news of what you provided for us on the cross and from the empty tomb. Lord, fill us with your spirit, empower us, cause us to cry out to you when we have a need to come to you boldly, when we are weak because we have been granted access to you because we've been justified in your sight. Thank you for that benefit. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name.